In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We've started the fast of the apostles. So we've had a wonderful time where we had Lent, we prepared for the Feast of the Resurrection, and then we celebrated Resurrection, and then after Resurrection we had the joyous days after leading up to the Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Feast of Pentecost that was just last week, and that Feast of Pentecost was the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. It marked the beginning of their ministry. It marked the beginning of them starting the message and the life for which our Lord had chosen them. And as we therefore start the fast of the apostles, and, and you know that in our church, every fast is actually a preparation period for a feast that is coming. So we, we fast Lent in preparation for the resurrection feast. We're fasting the apostles fast now in preparation for the feast of the apostles. So I wanted us to focus just a little bit on the apostles this evening. Their calling and their transformation. The most important thing we see about the apostles from the beginning is that there is a calling. They are called to a ministry. God is a God of order. He's not a God of randomness. He's a God who wants us to do things because we can do them. We're effective. He makes us strong. He enables us. And so we are able to do things by His grace, with His grace. You know, I think we have a, a slight confusion traditionally within our culture in that we think that speaking of any sort of ministry or any sort of work or acknowledging any kind of success is almost its pride. Whereas it's not actually. Because what we acknowledge is what St. Paul says, it is not I who live but Christ who lives in me. This wasn't me. We have a wonderful tradition in Arabic where when someone says, that was good, the instant reaction is, thank God. And what does that mean? We, we take it culturally and we just say it. What does it mean? It means, yes, it's good, but I thank God because it is he who did it, not me. And so that's a win-win situation where I acknowledge the good, I give thanks for it, but then I acknowledge that God did it and I give thanks for him, and so it doesn't become a matter of pride for me. And that's exactly what we see in the disciples. St. Paul again says to us that it would be wrong for him to take pride in anything but the cross of Christ. And, and that's it. It's, it's his cross that we rejoice in. And if we look at the disciples, their lives revolved around the cross in two ways. First, they followed our Lord. They followed him for three years. They learned from him. They saw the successes. They saw the apparent failures. They saw the disappointments. They saw the betrayals. They saw all of these things. They were inspired by his goodness. They learned from his humility. 
They were taught by his wisdom, all of those things. But they didn't realize that all of this was going towards one particular end. What was that end? It was the cross. Our Lord was showing them all of this and saying, but all of this is actually just a means to an end. Because if they had sought the glory of the world on its own, then they would have been exactly like those who wanted our Lord to be the Savior who came and overthrew the Romans. But our Lord was saying to them, this is not what it's about. What this is about is I am preparing something much, much greater. So he did all of this, then entered into Jerusalem victoriously, a king. They received him as a king. But then within days, he was betrayed. He was delivered into their hands. He was crucified. It all went to the cross. Because without the cross, there could not have been a resurrection. And so our Lord showed them a very clear example, saying, the ministry I am calling you to is the ministry I have lived. And our Lord was very clear. He said that no servant is greater than his master. If they have hated me, they will hate you. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If I have had to carry my cross, then you're going to have to carry your cross. But you can see that there was a, a very important transformation in their lives. The transformation came on the day of Pentecost, because up till that day, they were hiding in the upper room. They didn't understand what was happening. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were taught. They heard what our Lord said. They heard the words, but the words didn't communicate into logic for them. They were still in hiding. And our Lord said to them, after he appeared to them and stayed 40 days, he said, I'm going to teach you some things. And I'm going to teach you because I want you to learn them and I want you to live them. And I want you to pay attention. Because even after I have taught you, I want you to sit still and to wait. Because I am going to go and the Holy Spirit is going to come for you. He's going to change you. He's going to remind you of all things I have ever said to you. And we see this incredible transformation in their lives. Suddenly on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, when they were in the upper room, came into the room as with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, descended on each and every one of them individually, suddenly they were transformed. These men who were in hiding went out and they preached. It was like they were in their own tomb. They were crucified with him. They were entombed with him. But once they were empowered, they came out and they spoke. They witnessed. They preached. They converted. They changed the world. And that was all only because they followed him. 
Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But what we saw in the disciples was quite the opposite. They weren't proud. They were afraid and they were humbled. And because they were afraid and they were humbled, the Lord picked them up, gave them his Holy Spirit, empowered them, and enabled them to serve. And that's why we need to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're going to feel afraid. Sometimes we're going to feel inadequate. Sometimes we're not going to quite understand what God wants of us. And that is not only normal, that is sometimes healthy. Because it's only when I have these questions that I ask and I receive answers. And so our Lord wants to give us those answers. He wants to give them to us because he wants us to learn. And he wants to show us how transformative he can be in our lives. He wants to say to us, you know that weakness you feel? You know the loneliness you feel? You know the vulnerability you feel? I will take that all away. None of that will be with you. It will all be taken away from you, and I'm going to change you. And God does change us. He transforms us. Let's face it, he transformed humanity from that humanity that had this corrupted nature, a beautiful nature first, but then we corrupted it, and then he reinstated it. He changed it. He came and he changed us. In the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, we read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We should never be ashamed. We should never be ashamed of our own weakness, neither should we should be ashamed of the message we carry. Sometimes we're quite apologetic, and I don't mean apologetic in the healthy way, because you know, apologetics is a discipline whereby we explain what we believe. But we are sometimes shamefully apologetic for our faith. Yeah, I know, but you know, it's just, that's the way I've been brought up. It, it's, it's what my parents told me. It's just, it's what the priest said. It's just, you know, it's our culture. It's just really difficult, but that, that's just how it is. That's not how we should be. If there is something we don't understand, ask. If there's something you don't agree with, discuss it. But bear in mind, you're not always going to get the answer you want. Neither will you have the change that you will always seek. But have the conversation. Because there are some things that are above all of our authority. There are significant, intrinsic things in the church even I as a bishop can't change. Even as a synod, there are some things we can't change. 
But we need to realize that if we have questions, we need to ask them. But once we have, don't feel ashamed. Don't make excuses. Don't, don't show that, that insecurity and that weakness. Our message is a powerful message. It is a scriptural message. It is a perfect message. But again, we've got to be careful that it doesn't lead us to a life of self-righteousness. Because there are two polar opposites. One is of a lack of, of self-confidence. The other is living in self-righteousness. And they both come with their, their downfalls and with their defeats. With one, we feel that we're unworthy and unable. It's one thing to feel unworthy. But we should never feel unable because, again, we read that by the grace of God, we can do all things. And on the other hand, we become self-righteous and judgmental, thinking that we know better. I'm a better Christian. I'm a better person. I'm more knowledgeable. Even our Lord didn't use that kind of approach with anyone. Epistle to the Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness is what we live in this truth. You know, there is nothing more annoying than someone who is right and who gloats about it. Right? It's just annoying. It's okay for someone to be right, but for someone to be right and to come up to you and gloat about it and, and tease you with it and try to make out that he or she is better, that's not the way of Christ. Our Lord, when he was on the cross, in the depths of his pain, asked for the forgiveness of those even who mocked him and who nailed him to that cross. And so we too should have that graciousness and that meekness, that humility, that gentleness. Our message is a powerful message, but it is powerful and gentle. Because it is powerful in that it gives life. Some people express power with might, with aggression. And some people express power with graciousness. Um, I, have, I was having a conversation with someone in the last couple of days and they said, yes, but you know, you're, you're a bishop. You should really, how do they know that you're the bishop? You should show your power. And I said, no, actually that's not it. As a bishop, as a shepherd, as a clergyman, I'm there as a father. My power is in being a father, not a taskmaster. And likewise, if you look at parents in their relationship with their children, children in the relationship with their parents, siblings in the relationships together, husband and wife, people in relationships, it's that gentleness. We are so hung up on worldly power 
that we think that expressing it with an overbearing sense of strength is exactly what the world needs. The world needs Christ-like power. But so it's okay. If you want to crucify me, fine. Because I know who I am. I know that three days I will have risen. But it's okay. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But still, if you come to me, I will accept you. That's the beauty of the message that the apostles were called to. That's the beauty of the message we're all called to. We are called to serve. We're all called to serve differently. Some of us will serve like I'm serving today. Some of us will serve in teaching Sunday school, youth meetings. Some of us will serve administratively in churches. Some of us will serve by cleaning the church, by driving a bus, by doing lots of different things. I remember I started my ministry what seems like 5,000 years ago in Sydney when I was probably 15, 16, and I would sit next to the person who drove the Sunday school bus and I would have a list of names of the children and maps. And I would guide him because the drivers could change, but I was the, the guide on the bus. And I would get out of the bus, walk across the road, bring the children, make sure they sat down, and then do it in reverse and take them home. That was my ministry, and I loved it. It's funny that um, some of the people I served who were two and three years old at the time, I've actually officiated their weddings, and I've baptized their children. And it's just that progression of ministry. We're all called to different things. And the calling is not going to be just one. The calling is progressive, and it changes according to where you are in life. So when I was 15, that was my calling. A little bit later, I was called to serve youth. A little bit later, I was called to the monastery. A little bit later, I was called to serve here as a parish priest. Later still, called to be a bishop. Later still, called to serve you here tonight. The calling changes as time goes on, and we are all called. Believe me, just because I'm wearing a cassock, that's not why I'm called. That's just a particular calling. We're all called. You are called to live the life you are living, faithfully. You are called to live that life powerfully and present a good example. Present something that only you can present as the child of God. There's a beautiful quote by St. Clement of Alexandria who says of God, generous is he who gives for us the greatest of all gifts, his own life. That's the gift we've received. And that gift of his life is the gift that inspires us to serve. That was his example to his disciples. Our Lord said to them very clearly, if you want people to know you are my disciples, do what I do. Live as I live. And so when he, as St. Clement says, 
gives us the greatest thing, which is his life, it goes exactly with, our, with what our Lord himself said, that no, there is no greater gift, there is no greater sacrifice, there is no greater love than for someone to lay down his own life. And he laid down his life for humanity overall, but for me. It's, you know, I always say to you, it's easy to see salvation being for the whole of humanity, and that's fine. But it's personally for me. And that's the way I need to take it, and I need to accept it. And also, the great example of us receiving because we have given. It is only when we lay down our lives that we receive them. But if we hold on to them, then we lose them. So imagine this, just a very simple example. Um, you have 10 pounds in your hand. You can do one of two things. You can do a good charitable deed with it, give it to a great charitable deed, and you provide for a child or a family or a ministry or anything, and you see the gifts, and that suddenly is a smile that is brought to the face of a child that stays there. Or you can hold it in your hand, and the minute you go out, you'll spend part of it here and part of it there and part of it here and part of it there until it's gone. If we hold on to our own lives, as we walk through our journey, we'll lose bits of them. We lose bits of our lives in anger, in resentment, in jealousy, in unrighteousness, in laziness. All of these things we lose. But if we take our life and we give it to God, He then receives it and He adds to it. And it just increases, and it increases, and it increases. Why? Because it's in His hands. His hands are blessed. The minute it touches something, it increases, it grows. And that's, that's the life we're called to live. That's what we need to do. Beautiful verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He gave us all of these things. How are we going to treat him? How do we deal with him? We, we sometimes don't know how to deal with God. We we bring God down so far that we always almost deconstruct Him. And some people think that's the way to deal with God. Deconstruct Him. Strip everything away. You know, we're all into this um, my, my buddy Jesus kind of thing. You know, just my friend Jesus. And that's great. It's one way of doing it. But, but when we deconstruct Him to that level, we sometimes forget His sovereignty. His holiness, His godliness. We forget He's not just a prophet. He's not just a righteous man. He's not just an apostle. He is God in flesh. 
and in deconstructing him, we change who he is. So you could quite simply um, walk down the street, see a high-ranking police officer. You think, you know, I don't, I, like, I don't like this rank stuff. I don't like all of this pomp and ceremony. I'm going to deal with you just like anybody. Fine. Um, but in dealing with you like anyone, I forget you're a police officer. So if someone comes up and robs me, I forget to run to you because I forgot what you do. I forget who you are. I forget your function. I'll deconstruct um, people of authority, but I don't realize that I can run to them when I need them. I'll deconstruct the priests. The, they're just humans. Of course we're just humans. But we're also fathers. Deconstruct them so much, and you forget what they're there for. You'll pick the faults, and God knows we have faults. We all have faults. I have faults. You have faults. We all do. That's all we see. You'll deconstruct your parents. You'll deconstruct your spouse. You'll deconstruct your friend. And you forget the value they hold and what they can do. We don't want to deconstruct God like that. We want to rise to Him. Rather than constantly trying to pull Him down to us, we want to rise to Him. You know, He's already come down to us. He already took flesh. He already walked our earth. It's now time for us to rise to Him. To rise above this earth. To look up. Not to constantly look down, but to look up. To lift our eyes, as the psalm tells us. To lift our eyes to the mountains where God is. Our God is a great God. And the disciples lifted up those eyes. They lifted their eyes from the day of Pentecost and they followed him. But there was a cross first. But where was that cross going to lead them? Because remember I said there were two components to the cross. The first was that it was the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which there was a resurrection and they were called and they were empowered. The second cross was their own. If you want to be my disciple, come, take up your cross. Actually, no, let me change that. Come, take up my cross and follow me. This is my cross you're carrying, so I'm never going to make it too heavy for you. You know, I always use this example with you. Imagine an infant. And he's, got, he's with his father, and he wants to carry something. You know, children want to, feel, want to feel important and want to feel powerful. So his father will say, yes, okay, we're shopping. Why don't you carry this for me? Oh, look, this is really heavy. And it's something which is really light. He feels like he's carrying this big, heavy load. His father is never going to load him beyond his ability. And he'll walk and he'll make him feel, yes, it's really heavy. Look, you're doing that so well. But actually, it's, it's light enough for him to carry. And that's what the disciples carried. They carried heavy loads as far as we are concerned. But as far as they were concerned and our Lord was concerned, they were the loads they could carry effectively and lovingly and powerfully. And at the same time, 
with gentleness and justice. See, our God is a just God who will never ever load us beyond our means, who may lead us through his cross and then to our own cross, but it will always be for our benefit. That cross is never ever meant to break us. It is meant to make us stronger, make us more powerful in Him. Not stronger as far as this world is concerned because there are much, much, much stronger people than us as far as this world is concerned. Much more powerful physically, financially, in terms of position, in terms of influence, many, many more. But the power of God, that's something we can have if we choose it. It's something God will give us if we're willing to carry it. It's a cross that leads us to the same glory. Where I am, there my disciple will also be. So because our Lord gained glory through his cross, so too do we gain glory through the crosses we carry. We commemorate the disciples and the apostles until today because they carried that cross and they were glorified through that cross. And likewise, we are called to carry that cross. And that will be something that glorifies God, that people see us and glorify Him, see us and give thanks to Him, see us and be inspired to take their crosses up, follow Him, and become disciples and apostles for others, that the will of God may be fulfilled, that his message and his word and his promise and his life will go out to every being according to his heart and according to his will for our salvation. And glory be to God forever. Amen.